We're back. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Saturday Six Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts. My name's AJ. My brother Tyler is here with me. My name's Tyler. What up? It's week three. First of all, big shout out all the way from Aiken, South Carolina, Donald Davidson. Thank you for listening to the pod. We appreciate it. The resident Clemson fan. Uh, we'll g- give him a little shout out. Just uh, jumped right into it. That's definitely going to be very loud at the beginning. So I'll uh, <laughs> I'll edit that down. But <laughs> welcome, nah, guys. Nah, we like it. I'm the hype man. I like the excitement. Uh, welcome, guys. We are going to uh, touch on an amazing slate of college football games last week. We had uh, some games that we actually didn't pick that were just crazy upsets uh, nobody saw coming. And then the games that we did pick were really great games, too. Um, so we'll touch on those. Um, let's start with some of those games we didn't pick. Huge upsets. You had um, three top ten teams go down last week. You had Texas A&M. Oy I mean, where do we start, dude? That was tough. I mean, hold on. I know exactly where to start. Can l- let's take a moment. So, if you're not a Texas A&M fan, I just found this out, and I follow the SEC closer than anything else. Um, they have what's called yell practice the Friday night before the game on Saturday. And basically a bunch of fans get in the stands and there's some random dude that just like starts to like a hype speech basically. And then they yell afterwards. It's the most bizarre thing. I watched a video on this. This is their legit uh, yell practice from the Friday night before Saturday's game. And you, if you can find this on YouTube, you've got to look it up. It's great. Basically, this guy just goes out there with a microphone on the field of Kyle Field and just talks shit about, like, how App State is a bunch of hillbillies that don't know how to spell their first names and all this and how they're just going to demolish them, right? And it's just the most sweet justice ever when you hear the ending of how this game went. That is where we start. Who the hell is scheduling App State? I mean – We've seen time after time App State take down these, uh, you know, big power five schools, these top 25 ranked schools. Obviously, um, years and years ago, they did it in uh, in the big house against Michigan. Um, this is crazy, man. I think the more uh, the the sweeter justice for this one, I think, is the fact that uh, a game we're going to talk about later Texas A&M and Miami was supposed to be the site for college game day this week. And App State, yes, dude. App State not only beat Texas A&M last week, but then they stole college game day from them this week. College game day is going to be in Boone, North Carolina for their game this week. So not only do they get paid one and a half million dollars and beat Texas A&M, but then they take college game day from them too. Yes, dude. I love it. It's not a matter of, like, why would you schedule them? It's just, like – and this is a thing that, like, I think you see a lot more from – it's hard to say more mature college football coaches, but, like, college football coaches that really know what it takes to win, like, you don't see a Nick Saban or Kirby Smart going out there and and underestimating any team. You listen to a Nick Saban uh, press conference, and he says, this is a really good team. They have really good wideouts. Their quarterback is really solid. They play good good against the run you know like they're not 
taken a team for granted, no matter what conference they play in, what division that's what uh, good coaches college do. football they, they're in. Like you yeah. don't you don't discount an opponent because any it's it's any given Saturday. And you know, App State just proved it right here. Yeah. And you know, it's tough to see as a fan of, you know, power five schools because you want some legitimacy in your conference and you know whatnot, but it's also just a sweet, sweet justice juice that we love to have. That was insane, man. So much for that number one recruiting class. You think any of those guys are regretting that right now? Like, holy crap, what did I get myself into? Jimbo is in over oh. the freaking head right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There, there's some cleanup to do in uh, College Station right now. That was pitiful, man. A 17-14 to 14 loss to the App State Mountaineers. Shout out to the Mountaineers. Um, check out game day. Should be a, a good atmosphere in Boone, North Carolina this coming Saturday. Um, another crazy upset. You got the Notre Dame Fighting Irish starting their season off 0-2. The Marshall Thundering Herd come to town and knock off the Fighting Irish. I mean, year after year, we see the media hype up Notre Dame in the preseason poll, their top five, their top 10, and year after year, they disappoint. I mean, at what point does it stop? And what's interesting to me to that point is, did they not look better and play better against Ohio State, the number two ranked team at the time in the country? Uh, I mean, I... Did, was Ohio State playing down to Notre Dame's level, or was Notre Dame just straight up playing better against better competition? Uh, I think I think I lean closer to the first one. Uh, Notre Dame's offense is trash. I saw I've seen nothing out of their offense that gives me any hope. Their defense has got some playmakers. I think Ohio State uh, came out uh, a little soft that first week. I think they are a good team, but. Marcus Freeman, the head coach for Notre Dame, is now 0-3. Lost their bowl game. Lost these first two games this season. Not a good start. Not a good look, buddy. Yeah, I'm way more willing to give some leniency to a coach that's taken over just a crapshoot of a program. I'll give more leniency to whoever takes over the Nebraska program. But Marcus Freeman, you're taking over a perennial playoff contender team. I mean, you've got good recruiting classes in there. You're not building from the bottom up. Yeah. You know, you've you've got a solid base and foundation. You've got the boosters for the NIL. You know, you're you shouldn't have any problem recruiting in the future. But you know, there's a lot of questions to still be asked. And you know, this is a Notre Dame team that I'm actually like pretty interested to follow throughout the season to see how they. One bounce back from this, but you know, the rest of their schedule is, you know, obviously the rest of your schedule is not going to be, you know, Marshall level play teams. So are you going to bounce back from this and you're going to figure your stuff out? Or I mean, are the rest of these division one schools just going to roll through you? You're going to be the laughing stock and an embarrassment of South Bend. Right. That's the thing. They still have USC. They still have Clemson. I mean, right. that's it. That's that's two more losses uh, at least for me. Uh, that's at best an eight and four season, and uh, not uh, what you want if you're head coach Marcus Freeman. But that's oh, yeah. all the time I'm willing to spend on Notre Dame because uh, I will disagree with you. I have no interest in following them the rest of the season. <laughs> I think it could be interesting. I, I don't see them losing another one in such embarrassing fashion. Will they maybe get blown out? Sure, but there's not much more not. embarrassing than losing 
Interesting to Marshall. I would hope not. Um, credit to Marshall, though. Shout out the Thundering Herd. Uh, the other top 10 loss that uh, we spoke about was Baylor. We'll get to that one here in just a second. We picked that game. Um, but let's jump into these games that we picked last week. I was going to touch on our records. You you managed to go 500 last week, three and three against the spread. Um, I went two and four, so another tough week. We're still learning about these teams. Hopefully, we can get this uh, trending in the right direction. But, I mean, there were some games that a lot of people saw going one way and did not go that way. Let's start with one of those games. The number one team in the country last week was on the road at Texas. You had the Alabama Crimson Tide coming in as 20-and-a-half-point favorites. We said that's not enough. And looking back, man, I'm kicking myself over this one because Texas has got playmakers. They've got athletes. And if you look at um, – I know I know ratings don't mean a ton, but if you look at the blue chip ratio, which is four and five stars, Texas is actually not that far off from Alabama. They've got um, some, some elite talent in that program. Um, I think the big key in this game was Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers leaves the game in the first quarter there after a big hit um, from Alabama edge rusher. Um, Hudson Card came in and played well. He's a former four-star kid. Um, he was their quarterback, too, coming into this year. I thought he played well, but we were looking for a big game from Bijan Robinson. It was lackluster at best. Tw 21 carries for 57 yards. I was not too impressed. But um, – Touch on touch on Alabama. I, I was expecting to see more from them in this game. Yeah, I mean, honestly, just and this is something that I don't know that I've ever seen from a Nick Saban coached Alabama, but the amount of undisciplined penalties that they got, and let me put put it this way, they got away with a couple that were blatant and obvious that the refs, I feel like, just looked the other way. But this is the most undisciplined uh, game of football that I've ever seen an Alabama football team ever play. And that Literally, was a big piece for me. Um, they, Alabama, had, they had 15 penalties. That's the most ever under Nick Saban for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah, absolutely. On the Texas side, though, you know, you touched on it. You know, Quinn Ewers goes out with uh, what appeared to be a collarbone injury from what I saw. I haven't looked at the injury updates, but I watched that happen live. And he fell on that non-throwing shoulder, and it looked like a bad collarbone injury to me me but Hudson card dude he stepped in and he looked ready to play I mean he came in and you know it was not identical but you know you can barely tell that there's like your second string quarterback is in so you know that's just you know testament to Texas recruiting where you know five star goes down and you know a four star steps in and is slinging the rock but yeah. Alabama gets lucky with the last second field goal Bryce Young puts the team on his back for a game winning drive drive in the yeah. last couple seconds and they managed to squeak out of texas with a win but you know not super impressive to me and uh this is the reason why the a ap poll top 25 comes out and the associated press has alabama as the number two team now they bumped georgia up one uh the coaches poll says a little bit different they're not quite ready to you know discredit alabama too much but it was a ton of fun to watch yeah, but yeah, I'll, look, looking back, I really kicked myself for taking that 20 and a half point spread. You know, that that's a big spread to take. And, you know, it's yeah. kind of a leap of faith to take it, even if it is Alabama. And 
you know, it just proved us wrong. I got a couple final thoughts. Um, I think uh, you touched on it. Bryce Young did not get off to a great start. Didn't have a great game overall. Um, played amazing in the fourth quarter there to lead them to the comeback. Um, kicked that game-winning field goal there. Alabama's rushing attack was just not great. Um, obviously, they had that 81-yard touchdown run um, from their second-string uh, running back that kind of added some uh, some rush yards there to make that stat line look a little bit better. But they were not able to run the ball very much at all. Um, Texas, Texas secondary, their corners and their safeties, they were all over those Alabama receivers. And they for me, elite. For me, it said more about – what Alabama is missing at the wide receiver position this year. When you think about Alabama in recent years, you think about Devonta Smith, you think about Jamison Williams, you think about John Mechie, you know, you think about Jalen Waddle, all these studs. I don't see that guy in this room this year. Um, but I will say um, the Georgia Tech transfer Gibbs, he's a solid receiving threat out of the backfield. He was probably their yes. best uh, receiving threat all game. I think they've got to get him more involved going forward. Um, but for Bama, five red zone trips, one touchdown, three field goals, one missed field goal. That's not going to cut it. Against Texas, against the SEC, it, it's not going to cut it. So I'm not going to overreact to this game. Alabama tends to have a really close, scary game in September every year, and then they bounce back and they end up running through the SEC, um, going undefeated. You know, so I'm not going to overreact to it, but a uh, little bit scary—a one-point win, twenty to nineteen, um, field goal with ten seconds yeah. left to win that game. But um, overall, I, totally um, I came away impressed with Texas, uh, just their overall talent. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's uh, not something where uh, you want to totally back off of Alabama. I was kind of going back and forth. What's the storyline on this game? Is it what's wrong with Alabama? Or is it is Texas really back? And Alabama's too good historically to say what's wrong with Alabama. And Texas is too bad to say is Texas really back. So it, it's really tough. But moving on to the next game, we had uh, South Carolina at Arkansas. How did you feel about this game? I uh... – I was kicking myself over this one, too, because I wanted to believe in South Carolina. I wanted to believe in Spencer Rattler and stupid me. Uh, Arkansas was favored by eight and a half. <laughs> they end up covering that spread. They win by two touchdowns, a final score of 44 to 30. Um, South Carolina was uh, able to make it even look a little bit closer than it was there at the end. But Spencer Rattler, I was just unimpressed. He, he threw for 370 yards, but... 64 of that was in one play and a lot of those yards are in garbage time when they're when they're playing catch up he threw a lot of passes um he had an interception he was sacked six times and south carolina's defense is dog water they are trash okay arkansas has got some playmakers on offense but they were getting run through like I won't say what they were getting run through like. They just look bad, okay? Arkansas quarterback K.J. Jefferson is a stud. We talked about that already. Two total touchdowns. Their running back Sanders had 156 yards and two more scores. No running game whatsoever for South Carolina. Arkansas is legit. That's my takeaway. Yeah, I'd like to disagree with you a little bit uh, just to get the conversation rolling. I actually think Spencer Rattler didn't play terrible. I contribute a little bit more to just the lack of weapons around him. I mean, 
if you take the names off the jerseys and you know you kind of just look at the players, Spencer Rattler looked good. It's just who who do you have to catch the ball? Who do you have uh, as an elite running back to you know make the play action a little bit more scary for the opposing defense? I thought it looked good. 376 yards, I'll take. 24 of 39, that's pretty good completion percentage from a D1 quarterback. There's just no weapons. But, yeah, dude, you touch on it. K.J. Jefferson looked nice. Arkansas's running back Raheem Sanders, 24 carries for 156 yards and two touchdowns. Two tighties. Two tighties. I mean, Carolina's defense did not have an answer for Arkansas. And, the, yeah. you know, that that's big. I mean, that that's the story that- of the game for me. That was the biggest takeaway for me, too. South Carolina's defense did not look great. And guess what? They got Georgia this week. So <laughs> we'll see if uh, that's not likely to trend in the opposite direction, unfortunately. But uh, let's move on. We got a couple more games to run through really quick. Um, we had number 24 team in the country, Tennessee. They were on the road against number 17, Pitt. And they were favored by six and a half. So we were picking um, whether they would win by a touchdown or more. And it was a great game, dude. I mean, this game ends up going into overtime, okay? Pitt is hobbling through this game. They lost their quarterback, Keaton Slovis. Um, He didn't play at all in the second half. Um, Their running back, I'm going to absolutely butcher this, but Abanacanda, something like that. He looked really good in this game. But uh, overall, you know, Tennessee ends up pulling this one out in overtime. Pitt just didn't have – uh, the health really down the stretch. They were missing, I want to say, two or three offensive linemen in this game. They were just really banged 30. up. Um, Tennessee pulls it out 34-27 to 27 in overtime. Pitt actually had a chance to win this one in regulation. Their kicker missed uh, from 36 and 46, um, but just uh, not enough down the stretch. Uh, Tennessee looks like a legit team in the SEC this year. Again, I mean, I'm not going to – completely disagree with you i was slightly disappointed in both teams honestly this is not the game i was expecting it was more of a slugfest i projected it to be a shootout uh which it absolutely wasn't i think the the disappointment in the offenses though may be a testament to the defenses was were the defenses that good i think tennessee's looked good at times i think Pitts looked good at times uh there's just a lot of fine tuning to do and I think Tennessee has a lot of improvement before they're really challenging for that SEC East division title. I mean, there's stuff that I saw where I'm like, you go up against a, a better opponent, you go up against Florida, you go up against Georgia, and you know Kentucky. you're going to struggle. A, yeah, you're going to struggle a lot more. So there's room for improvement. I, I still think they can do it. I still have Tennessee as my number two team in the SEC East after what I've seen. I okay. think they can beat out Kentucky and Florida, uh, but. For me, I mean, th- there, there's a lot that you can take back to practice. You can take back to the film room for Tennessee. And, you know, Pitt, you just got to get healthy, man. If you're healthy, yeah. you win that game. By the end of the game, you touched on They're missing three offensive lines. They only had their two starting tackles. Their, their center and both their guards went out in that game. And, That's tough. You know, especially, especially playing an SEC team where it's one in the trenches. Every SEC, Every college football game is one in the trenches. And – that's one where if you don't have your healthy guys, you're not going to win that. I agree with that. I think um, let's let's actually move on. I the SEC East, as you were speaking about, this was a great game, man. 
You talk about good games. Dude, I loved every second of it. Number 20 team in the country last week, the Kentucky Wildcats were going on the road. We talked about the swamp. We talked about how formidable how formidable that place can be. The number 12 Florida Gators were actually favored by five and a half. Lots of hype after they knock off Utah. Anthony Richardson is a Heisman contender. And then dud. I mean, this was disappointing if you're a Florida fan. Not only do you lose this game, but your Heisman favorite quarterback looked more like a running back. He's 6 of 17 in the first half. He was not able to move the ball whatsoever. He missed wide open throws. There's guys, there's running backs running, you know, out of the backfield, running to the flats, misses them. Um, He's missing comeback routes. He threw a pick six that was just, that one might have been miscommunication, but it was just tough. Kentucky only had two rushing yards in the first half, and they were, you know, in that game still, which is just absolutely crazy to me um the one bright spot for florida is their running back trevor etn um you might recognize that last name as a brother of former clemson running back and now jaguars running back travis etn um but the big takeaway from me for this one we told you last week pump the brakes on the florida hype pump the brakes right. on the anthony richardson hype and what happened florida didn't score in the second half okay Kentucky wins that game 26 to 16, a 10 point win when they are underdogs by five and a half points. And I hate to say it, but Kentucky's better than Florida for sure. Oh, no doubt. We could talk about bright spots for Kentucky uh, for the whole podcast if we wanted, but I do want to be a little bit critical. Will Levis, slightly underwhelming, 13 for 24, 200 yards, one touchdown. You know, I guess when your running game is doing what it's supposed to do, that's all you need to to pull out a win. I get it, but that's not going to win you every game. So I want to see a little bit more from him. He's a he's a first round draft pick next year if he can put it all together. So yeah. I, I really like to see more with him. Uh, I saw this thing after the game where one of the Kentucky defensive players called Anthony Richardson boiled hot dog water, and and if Facts, that is not dude. the most Facts, accurate depiction of what I saw on Saturday. I mean, 14 to 35, 143 yards, what's his, what's zero his, touchdowns. What's his two name? Interceptions. Need, he deserves a shout out on the Saturday six pod for that because Dude, we'll throw a graphic up at Saturday six pod on Instagram. We got to see it again. I freaking loved it. Uh, uh, but and going back, dude, I talked about. Anthony Richardson, you know, nickname AR-15, which is maybe the coolest freaking nickname I've ever heard, by the way. We talked about him not having to shoulder the run game, but I didn't mean not have any run game at all, dude. I was hoping one of the running backs would take it. Or to not shoulder the pass but, game either. Yeah. The, I mean, he took me literally. He, he did not shoulder the run game at all, and it was atrocious. Yeah, I think uh, two two final thoughts for me on this one. Um, just like I said, pump the brakes on Florida last week. Don't overreact to this. I'm also not going to overreact to this loss, okay? I said last week 
two back-to-back very physical games for the Florida Gators. You play a very physical team in Utah. You play a very physical team in Kentucky, who was missing their top two running backs, by the way. Um, But those games back-to-back are tough. Whether they're at home or away, doesn't matter. Those are tough back-to-back games. So I'm not going to overreact to this game, just like I'm not going to overreact to that week one game. I think the truth, obviously, like most things, is probably somewhere in the middle. And then my final thought on this one is – Billy Napier was was hyped up after that Utah win, and there was just some decision making, especially his play calling. He's uh, he's the play caller there for the Florida Gators. There were just some times where he was uber conservative. Um, it seemed like he wasn't willing to really take shots downfield. He ended up going for it twice on fourth down in their own territory. Um, I don't know if that was just him not trusting his defense or you know, just knowing that they were probably going to end up losing that game at some point. But um, that's my final takeaways for that one. I'm not going to overreact. Florida didn't look great, but I think this is probably still a seven win team. Um, But Kentucky looks like between them and Tennessee uh, looks like the runner up in the SEC East so far. Let's go ahead and move on. Let's move out West. We talked last week about the USC Trojans. They were favored by nine points going on the road against Stanford. A lot of people thought Stanford could keep that one close. And this was USC all night long. They end up winning that one 41 to 28. So that final score looks a little bit closer than than it actually was. But uh, they, they were leading by a good margin throughout this entire game. That Caleb Williams to Jordan Addison connection, dude. Dude. That looks nice. <laughs> the pit transfer, the Oklahoma transfer, they looked really good. That Stanford defense was just overmatched all night. Yeah, man. Caleb Williams looked like the Heisman contender that he should be. 341 yards, four touchdowns, dude. That is getting it done. I thought Stanford looked good, though. I mean, their offense was productive. It's just typical Lincoln Riley fashion. You USC offense is just difficult to keep pace with i mean he did it at oklahoma too it's hard to keep pace with a team that's putting up 40 points a game you know to be able to match that and have the time of possession still it's just tough but stanford looks good if they play with the consistency that they played with against usc they have chances to win a lot of games this year you know so i'm i'm not right i'm not writing off the the trees here uh, that's their terrible mascot, the trees, but, uh, it's just, it's tough, man. That is a high powered offense and it, it's tough just to keep pace. I agree with you. Let's move on. Last game that we picked last week was the number nine Baylor bears. They were on the road against number 21 BYU. BYU was favored by four. And we were a little confused by that because we thought Baylor was a good team. Very physical game. But in the end, BYU ends up winning in double overtime, 26 to 20. Um, So, you know, when it's a four point spread and that game ends up going into overtime, it's either going to go your way or it's not. Um, What what were your thoughts on that game? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Lapini Katua's last touchdown, you know, sealed the game for BYU. Wasn't super impressed with either team. I mean, Baylor had chances to put the game away in regulation, and they just couldn't get it done. And that's not what I like to see from a Baylor team that was so highly touted going into the game. Uh, But you touched on it, man. It was a 
physical knockdown drag out, you know, bare knuckle boxing, you know, type of game. And, you know, it, it, it's a breath of fresh air coming from a conference where, you know, you don't defense kind of comes secondary to the offense. Uh, so I enjoyed seeing it, but, you know, for Baylor, you got to be able to finish out these games in regulation. You can't let them get to overtime. There's just too much unpredictability when it comes to overtime, man. All it takes is one play. Yeah, I was, uh, I will uh, reject one thing I said last week. Um, I made a little joke about Zach Wilson no longer being there, but the BYU quarterback, Jaron Hall, actually played pretty well. So um, yeah. I'll, I'll show him his flowers there. Um, but like you said, overall, physical game, and I think that plays into BYU's hands. They are a very physical team. They know their identity. They're a very experienced team. Um, so I, I think that game being at home for them, it was just right in their wheelhouse, and they uh, managed to pull that one off in double overtime. Another great game. I mean, as far as uh, competitive games, um, interesting games to watch, last week was slap full of those. So, um, you know, not the greatest uh, against the spread for us, but uh, we'll look to improve on that in some great games upcoming this week, and uh, we'll go ahead and touch on those. All right, so let's touch on the first game. We have our Georgia Bulldogs. They've moved up to number one in the AP poll. 2-0 to start the season. They are on the road against the South Carolina Cox. South Carolina obviously lost last week to Arkansas. This is a 12 o'clock kickoff on ESPN, and depending on when you find the spread, where you find it at, Georgia's favored by 24.5 points, a huge favorite on the road. Does that scare you? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Arkansas loses their two linebackers uh, that are going to be out for this game from last week. That's pretty unfortunate for them. Uh, and I know a lot of people are going to say only hanging 30 points on Samford is not that impressive. But what I really think happened last week for Georgia is Kirby Smart went out and he wanted to do what he had to do, but he wasn't looking to go crazy and open up the playbook. Obviously, Georgia does have a little bit of inconsistency converting in the red zone, which you know we like to see get a little bit better. But the thing about a noon game is it's a little bit better for the away team. You know, you your fans aren't as awake. It's not you know three thirty, seven o'clock, eight thirty game where. The crowds had all the day to get drunk and rowdy and get licked you know, up hype for the game. You know, people are still kind of rubbing their eyes. Maybe that helps Georgia just a little bit. Yeah. But 24 and a half, dude, it, it, it's not super comfortable for me. I think that South Carolina, uh, I don't think that South Carolina keeps it close. I think that Georgia keeps it close. And okay. what I mean, what I mean by that, please is, explain. <laughs> right. What I mean by that is I see a little bit more of maybe not being able to convert in the red zone as much as you want. And Georgia hasn't really focused on its run game yet, but I think entering SEC play, it's something that they've got to do and something that Kirby Smart's going to push and Todd Monken's going to, you know, call those plays. Obviously, I know with, with a Georgia offense, you go up to the line of scrimmage with a run play and a pass play. And Stetson Bennett has the ability to check into the run check into the pass however he sees fit he's a veteran quarterback he's afforded that luxury um 
but 24 and a half is a big point spread. I've been really bad against big point spreads thus far this year. So I'm going to keep, uh, I think it's right around the three touchdown, maybe 23 points, but I'm just, I'm not comfortable going with the big point spreads yet. I haven't been very successful for them. So I'm going to go against the grain a little bit and, and uh, stick with South Carolina, the underdog, to keep it a little bit closer than Vegas predicts. Okay. That's an interesting pick. I, like you said, that, that huge spread is always tough. You, you never see that in the NFL. It's always these college games where you get these ginormous um, spreads when you've got uh, teams that Vegas thinks are just overmatched. A um, couple of things I wanted to touch on. I definitely agree with you um, when you said uh, – when, when you talked about um, Georgia having to be more efficient in the red zone. Obviously, that first game against Oregon – seven drives, seven touchdowns to start the game. And then last week against an undermatched opponent, there were far too many field goals, if we're being honest. Um, you also saw a 12-point – or, excuse me, a 12-minute fourth quarter. Um, I think it might have even been a 12-minute third quarter, too. So, you know, obviously both teams going into that knew that that game was not going to be competitive from the jump. Um, I think Kirby Smart definitely let his foot off of the gas there at the end, playing against his former mentor. Um, but South Carolina has just not looked impressive enough for me to start this season. Um, they obviously beat Georgia State, but unimpressive victory, 35-14, to 14, scored some points late. Two of their touchdowns were uh, punt blocks for touchdowns. Um, and then obviously we know what happened last week against Arkansas. We touched – there's – Two uh, of their starting linebackers are missing from uh, the South Carolina defense. And Georgia's outscored their opponents 82-3 to three through two games. Averaging one and a half points per game. We uh, Everybody's expecting this huge drop-off from last year, and this defense looks like they are stepping right in and filling those shoes. So I'm actually going to take Georgia and the points here. Um, I could see like a 37 to seven win, something like that. Georgia covering that spread pretty comfortably. Um, I'm going to roll with our dogs here and hopefully pull this one out because, uh, my record against the spread is struggling, but, uh, I think we, uh, I think the offense is a little more efficient. I think the defense is still lights out. I'm going to go with the dogs. So it looks like we're on opposite sides through the first one. Hey, I hope they prove me wrong. Nothing will make me happier than being wrong with this pick. I would love to blow out South Carolina. <laughs> and it's definitely possible. I'm I'm just a little bit weary on the big point spreads so far this season. No, I agree. That 24 and a half is scary as hell, but uh, I'll roll with it. Um, our second game, let's go ahead and jump into this one. This is a rematch from last year. These teams are out-of-conference teams that have uh, scheduled a home-and-home -home series. So you have the number 22 team in the country, the Penn State Nittany Lions. They're 2-0 on the season. They're going on the road to Jordan-Hare Stadium to face off against the Auburn Tigers, who are 2-0. That's a 3.30 kickoff on CBS. And depending on when you get to this spread, where you find it at, Penn State on the road is favored by a field goal. So uh, what are our initial thoughts? Yeah, so last year when they matched up, Penn State had a whiteout against Auburn. And I've seen a, seen a lot of reports, uh, especially coming from Auburn defensive lineman or linebacker Owen Papo, that they're pushing for the Auburn fans to do an orange out, which, dude, nothing could be uglier than a giant sea of orange for me. 
Yeah. Auburn looks to be a little unsure on their quarterback situation. Yeah. None of them are really true gunslingers that they want to see. I'm still looking for TJ Finley to, to take the start. I think he's just the uh, more game-ready quarterback for Auburn at this point. Uh, but I am big on Bigsby. That is Auburn running back Tank Bigsby. The Tank. Um, dude, he is nice. He has 200 yards this season so far through two games. Um, he is looking nice, man. He is running like a tank. I expect for him to have a big game. Uh, great quarterbacks uh, last week as far as Penn State goes. Nicholas Singleton uh, is looking good. Yeah, uh, or excuse me, Sean, Sean Clifford. Clifford. Yeah, Sean Clifford. He's only he's only been there for five, like uh, ten years. <laughs> right. He's got five touchdowns last week. Nick Singleton is their running back. They have a very balanced attack on the offense. Uh, their passing game is freaking nice. They're running it really well with Nicholas Singleton. I see him getting the ball just as much as Tank Big. Bigsby does, um, but I'm going to go with the underdog two games in a row here. I'm going to take Auburn. I think it's a different environment when you go to Jordan-Hare Stadium. I think that an SEC caliber of smash mouth football is not what Penn State wants to get into. They want to be able to sling the ball at will against the Auburn secondary, and it's going to be up to that Auburn secondary to force them to run the ball, or they're going to crowd the, the backfield. And I, I think this game could be just a little bit closer than what people predict. Do you disagree? Agree? Uh, I, that's an interesting pick to me. Um, obviously, with this game being at Auburn in Jordan-Hare, that is a tough place to play. You're talking about nearly 100,000 fans. They're loud. They pack that place. 3.30 kickoff. They'll be liquored up. They'll be ready to go. Um, but I have questions. I like that you talk, touched on Tank Bigsby. 6.3 yards per carry um, through the first two games. That's that's pretty good. Um, they'll need a lot of him and a lot of him often because, like you said, I'm not sold on T.J. Finley. One touchdown to three interceptions. Uh, and Penn State's defense through the first two games, I found an interesting stat. They're allowing under 50% completion percentage for opposing quarterbacks. So if if their secondary can keep that stat trending in the right direction, um, which I am not, you know, not really worried that they can't, especially considering that TJ Finley is not the quarterback um, that I'm scared of. I think they could keep this game close. Like we said, Sean Clifford has been there for six years at Penn State. He's sort of the the, you know, the Stetson Bennett of Penn State. He's been there for so long. He knows that offense. He's comfortable. Um, he knows his playmakers. He's Penn State won this game by eight last year. That was in Happy Valley, obviously. But um, I don't know. I like Penn State to win. Is it closer than a field goal? Is it more than a field goal? It could go either way. It, it really, really could. could. Th this one's a coin flip for me. I I, I think uh, just to be different from you, I'm going to roll with the uh, Penn State Nittany Lions in this one. I uh, I just think that their defense is able to keep T.J. Finley in check. 
Um, obviously, if Auburn is trailing there at the end of the game, they're not going to be able to just hand it off to Tank Bixby and let him take over the game. So uh, I'll actually roll with Penn State, and uh, we'll end up on opposite sides through the first two. I like it. I like it. Let's roll on. Let's get to this next one. So a team that we touched on last week um, was the number 12 ranked uh, BYU Cougars. They move up after that impressive win over Baylor. They're 2-0 and now to start the season. They're going to go on the road um, to the Oregon Ducks, who obviously lost that first game to Georgia. Uh, but then they bounced back against an FCS opponent last week, put up 70 points against them. Um, to start the season one and one, you got a 3:30 kickoff on Fox, and the home team Oregon is actually favored by a field goal and a half in this one. Uh, initial thoughts on this game? Yeah, obviously Oregon had a much better game against the inferior opponent. We kind of all expect that, um, but it, it, it's a good, it's good morale boost for the team uh, after losing to UGA in embarrassing fashion. Uh, the passing it. Attack looked way more lethal with, you know, a less matched opponent, like I said. But BYU's putting it together. They're a really good team right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, they're going to give Oregon all they can handle. I see this being a game where it, it might be one of those where it comes down to who has the ball last, last who controls the time of possession, uh and just who executes their game plan better and and right now i i think that's byu i think they uh i don't want to say that they have their way with oregon but i think that they're able to execute efficiently exactly what they want to do and i'm gonna take another underdog i know it's crazy three in a row i know well you know Hey, week one, or was it week two? I took like all but one of the yeah. favorites. Uh, I'm going to go on the opposite this time. I think BYU wins this one outright, and uh, they they earned that number 12 ranking. And uh, Oregon's just kind of left to uh, put the pieces back together what their season is. Yeah, my, my man's rolling with the underdogs through the first three. I like it. Is it, um, is it a true underdog if they're the number 12 team in the nation? I mean, come on. Right. I think people are giving Oregon a, um, a lot of credit for being at home. Um, Autzen Stadium is uh, the zoo, as it's called. It's, it's a tough place to play. Um, so, I mean, as tough as uh, Pac-12 Stadium can get. But I, I think, like we said, BYU is a tough team. They're physical. They're experienced. And that matters. Um, like we said, they, they beat Baylor last week in uh, double overtime, 26 to 20 quarterback, Jaron Hall looked good. Um, I'm not sold on Bo Nix. Uh, I, I like what Oregon has on defense, especially at the linebacker position. We touched on that in episode one or, uh, episode two, maybe, uh, but I think I'm going to week one. Yeah, that gets confusing, right? I think I'm going to agree with you on this one. I actually like the Cougars on the road. Um, I think they cover. I don't know if they pull the win off. This one is probably a coin flip for me, too. But uh, I think it could be a field goal game, a two point uh, game, you know, something like that. Uh, I'll roll with the Cougars and pick BYU as well. And to touch on a little more, I'm not. The reason that I'm not loving Oregon, I'm not hating on them, but the reason that I'm not loving Oregon is we saw what Oregon did with 
against a really good team. And it was a really bad showing Mm -hmm. where we saw what BYU did against a really good team. And it was a good showing. So this is Oregon going up against another good team. And, you know, their, their track history, you know, precedes them right now. And I just, I, I think that they have a little bit of a hiccup against, you know, a evenly, if not a evenly matched opponent, if Oregon's not a little bit outmatched here. No, I, I love the analysis. I think that's spot on, bud. Um, let's move on. We got an SEC matchup. We are going to the SEC West Division. You got the Mississippi State Bulldogs. They are 2-0 and to start the season on the road, going to Death Valley to face off against the 1-1 one one LSU Tigers. The Tigers. Go Tigers. 6 o'clock kickoff on ESPN, and the Tigers are probably wishing they had Coach Orgeron at this point. Uh, but Mississippi State, the Bulldogs, the visitor, the road team, favored by two and a half. Uh, you're rolling with Mississippi State. Do you think LSU bounces back after a 500 start? Yeah, man. This one is is really difficult. It's another one that I've kind of been going back and forth on. Mississippi State has a really good showing out west last week with Arizona. Uh, LSU had a good showing against a FCS opponent, which I don't put any stock in personally. You know, I didn't put any stock in it with the last couple games. I'm not going to here. Um and I touched on it in a previous podcast, you know, I hate to keep going back to all these other podcasts, but to reiterate what I've been saying, I mean, we're damn good uh, at what we do. Right. Ellis <laughs> LSU is, you know, having trouble with their star receiver, their best defensive player goes out. Mm-hmm. That matters, dude. That matters in a big primetime match SEC divisional opponent matchup. I will say Death Valley is probably one of the hardest places to play as a visiting team. Yeah, I just mean, ask Alabama. Yeah, uh, their their fans are just animals straight out of the swamps, out of the bayous of Louisiana, and it's tough to play. They've all had like a Cajun boil for breakfast, <laughs> and and uh, they're ready to go when it's game time. It it's such to toss up man i want to go mississippi state right here i think that they can win outright field goal again it's a, it's another one it could honestly go either way man like if if there is a way to pick a tie right now and neither team wins you could take i might could, go that way i mean it's two and a half so you can't take the push uh, yeah, but. yeah. I, i'm i'm not i'm not gonna do it i if it was three or two points i still wouldn't take the push um i'm gonna go with the favorite just to be different from uh, my trend, I, I can't go all underdogs here. Uh, I think Mississippi State can win this one out, and it's a big win for them if they do. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I think, uh, first of all, I think it's um, it's interesting that both of these teams are averaging 44 points a game through the first two games. Um, like we said, big win for uh, Mississippi State last week against Arizona, 39-17. to 17. Um, That Arizona team was trash last year, but I think that's a good Pac-12 team this year. I think they've – Not uh, this year. No? Are you not, saying they're not – Not this not, year. Yeah, you're saying they're not bad. They're, they're right. a good team this year. Yeah, the, yeah I agree. They're a good team this year. Yeah, I agree. The Wildcats are a good team, and a 39-17 to 17 win is uh, an impressive showing. Their quarterback, Will Rogers – He's a stud, and uh, Coach Mike Leach is willing to let him throw the ball 
often. I mean, it, it is it is not a big surprise if homeboy puts up 50, 60 pass attempts in a game. And the Mississippi State uh, defense is not bad either. They had three interceptions last week. Um, LSU beat Southern. Uh, it's an FCS school, 65 to 17. So obviously that inflates their points per game after an unimpressive uh, week one game against Florida State. Um, LSU won this game last year when these two teams met. Don't put a lot of stock into that one. Obviously, new head coach, lots of new players. Um, one interesting stat in the last nine games under head coach Mike Leach, Mississippi State is seven and two against the spread. So they tend to kind of cover that spread over the last nine games. And uh, I think for that reason and, and a couple other reasons that I touched on, I'm going to stick with you on this one. I like the Bulldogs on the road to win this one. I could I could see him winning this one by a touchdown, uh, covering that uh, two and a half pretty comfortably. Well, not often that we agree on uh, picks back-to-back, but I like the analysis. It's good stuff. Appreciate it, buddy. Let's uh, let's move on. We've got a Big Ten team in the number 11-ranked Michigan State Spartans, 2-0 to start the season under head coach Mel Tucker. They're going on the road, though, all the way to the West Coast against the Washington Huskies. Washington is 2-0, and and they're at home. And I think for that reason, they're favored by three and a half in this game. 7.30 kickoff on ABC. This is uh, the night game. Uh, you know, both teams playing cupcakes through the first two games. So this is really the first test for both both teams. Yeah, Michael Penix Jr. has looked good so far. I will say he hasn't faced an opponent or a defense like Michigan State yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see what he does with – you know, kind of a step up in, you know, the the difficulty of play there. I'm looking for a big game out of running back Jalen Berger. I think that he could be, you know, a game changer. Berger. As, as far as this goes. The better. Um, but I still like Michigan State, man. I, I like what they did last year. I think they've got a lot to build off of. Mel Tucker's doing a great job with that program right now. A defensive mind. He's not going to let up unnecessary points. Um, and it's just going to have to be a disciplined game. You're going into an away environment. You've got to be on your P's and Q's. Limit your mistakes. Limit the turnovers. Hang on to the ball. And if they do all those things, I could have Michigan State winning outright. So, you know, like I said, it's kind of hard to say that, you know, the number 11 team is – uh an underdog to an unranked washington team but uh i'm gonna go with the underdog again dude it's the week of the underdogs the week of the underdogs i like it what are the what are the chances i convince you to flip your pick here what's the percentage there this one i'm a lot more sure on than a couple other picks a lot more sure than the mississippi state pick for sure or the state auburn pick um, so it, it'll be pretty tough, but I'd okay. love to hear an argument. Okay. Cause, uh, I, I'm feeling Washington in this one. Like we said, both teams, uh, playing cupcakes to start the season. So an easy two and O start for both teams, big 10 teams do not fare well when they cross the country and go to the West coast over the last several seasons, big 10 teams 
do not do well going and facing these Pac-12 or these uh yeah excuse me these Pac-12 teams. Um, so that is what scares me. Um, the fact that it's a 7:30 kickoff, uh, I think that kind of helps Michigan State a little bit. If this one was an earlier kickoff, uh, that that might be a little bit bad, uh, a little bit uh, worse for them. You touched on yeah. uh, Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr. The Indiana transfer was uh, was a pretty good quarterback at Indiana. Um, he led them to a, a to a, a pretty good record, I believe, in the twenty twenty uh, COVID year. Um, and then he ends up transferring to be the starting quarterback for the Huskies. Washington's defense is good. All right. I want you to keep an eye out for Washington's defense. We know what head coach Mel Tucker brings for Michigan State. Um, obviously, his pedigree coaching under Nick Saban, coaching under Kirby Smart. But um, I don't know. I might I might actually roll with Michigan State in this one as well. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> after all the convincing, I don't you know. I kind of yourself out convinced... of the pick. Yeah, I think I did. Uh <laughs> Michigan State I is love it, dude. Michigan State is eight and two against the spread in their last ten games. Uh, so the fact that you're giving them three and a half points is kind of tough for me. This one was uh, I was I was kind of feeling Washington, but I might go the other way now. Oh, uh, you talk we, to yourself out we, of should, your should, own pick. All right, I'm gonna literally flip a coin for this pick. Okay. Actually, I'm going to flip a bottle cap because I don't have a coin and I've been drinking. All right. That's not exactly fair, but all right. right. Yingling, Michigan State, the pokey side, Washington. All right. Here it is. We're rolling with the Huskies, baby. All right. (laughs) We're taking Washington in this game. Uh, Might end up regretting it because. uh, Yeah. How confident are you in that pick now that you had to leave it up to a bottle cap? I was feeling Washington, though. That's the thing. I was feeling them, dude. I, li- I like the Huskies. I like Michael Penix Jr. Um, we're going to get together for this one, and we're, we're going to watch the entirety <laughs> of this game. We have we have got to watch the entirety of this game. It's the most exciting game that I'm ready for at this point. You talked me into that much. Three and a half <laughs> points, though, dude. That means they got to win by four. That's tough. That's so tough. I love it. I love it. All right. I'm rolling with the Huskies. Uh, reluctantly, I talked myself out of it. I was I was actually leaning Washington to start, and then I talked myself into <laughs> Michigan State and ended up flipping a bottle cap to, to pick Washington. So, Question whatever. is, can I talk you back into Michigan State? Yeah, quickly? can you please? Please? No. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. Let's touch on our last game real quick, uh, and we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. This, I think, uh, could be the highlight of uh of the uh six here could have been a much better matchup obviously if it wasn't for the huge upset last week but we still have the number 13 team in the country the miami hurricanes under new head coach mario cristobal starting the season two and oh they're gonna go on the road though to college station to face off against now the 24th ranked texas a&m aggies they're one and one after a disappointing loss to the app state mountaineers but Texas A&M still favored by five and a half at home. Nine o'clock nightcap on ESPN. We rolling with uh, the Aggies to bounce back, or do you like what uh, Crystal Ball's got going on in Miami so far? I'm going to give you two things, and then I'm going to give you my pick. I'm sorry this isn't the analysis that you're necessarily looking for. Nope, but I like it. Short and sweet, baby. Here are my two short and sweet things. We touched on it. Texas A&M lost to App State. 
I'm looking for a big statement game from them. They are getting clowned right now in the media. I'm sure that Jimbo Fisher is lighting a fire under the behinds of every player that's, you know, on this roster right now. I look for them to have a big statement. I want them to come out and show that they're not the laughingstock of the SEC and that they're potentially the third best team in the SEC West, contending for the number two spot with Arkansas possibly. Um, and they and, and they know that they still control their season. An out-of-conference loss, yeah, did you knock yourself out of playoff contention? We'll talk about that in November, For sure. December. You lose we'll talk about it in state. November to December. You ain't making it in the yeah. damn playoffs. You lose the App State. Yeah, but you win the SEC, you do. So we'll talk about that later. But, but they still control their destiny in the SEC. They can still do that. And number two. Miami starts hot every single year and eventually they begin their downward spiral and it just gets out of control and they end up losing the games that they should have won games that everyone expects them to win and they expect themselves to win and they just fumble it, man. They, they fumble the game away and it just doesn't look good. So I expect both of those things from each of the teams. I expect, Texas a to come back and have their statement win that they need. And I, I expect Miami to start their downward spiral and start, you know, upsetting their fans and disappointing them like they do every single year. Wow. And for that uh, reason, I'm rolling with the Aggies 12th man. Let's go. Okay. A lot to unpack there. I like the, uh, I like you rolling with the Aggies. Um, here's what I'm going to touch on Texas A&M cannot run the ball they're terrible they're they're rushing through the first two games awful they cannot stop the run their rush defense through the first two games awful okay also true miami quarterback tyler van dyke is a stud he should be in the heisman conversation he should be uh nfl quarterback next year maybe not a first round pick but I think he's a top five or six quarterback prospect heading into the NFL draft. On the other hand, Texas A&M quarterback Haynes King sucks. Okay, I've not seen anything <laughs> out of Texas A&M quarterback Haynes King through the first two games that makes me think that he can get the job done. Okay, I'm going to keep it's it. It's two sh- games. It's two games. It's two games, but it's, it's the sample size that I need. Okay, five and a half, like you said, Miami gets off to hot starts. They cool down eventually, but this is not the week, baby. I'm rolling with the Hurricanes, okay? You said that they lose to teams that they might or that people expect them to beat. Nobody expects Miami to beat Texas A&M. That's why Texas A&M is favored by five and a half. I'm rolling with the Hurricanes, baby. It's a hurricane party in Texas A&M. Pour me one tall and strong. I need a hurricane before I go insane, baby. Two losses at home, dude. It's tough for me. I don't know, man. That Friday night yell practice might just do it. We'll see. (laughs) Two losses at home. (laughs) Two losses at home. Starting the season one and two. Jimbo Fisher is on the hot seat. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And that's tough because they just signed him to a big contract extension. Uh, But no doubt, man. And Two losses at home to one of them being to App State. I'm not going to discredit Miami. Miami is a good team. But two losses at home and one of them is to App State. 
you can kiss the number one recruiting class goodbye. You're not going to get that for the next four years. Oh, absolutely. You're not. Absolutely. It, the NIL money is not going to be enough. Kids <laughs> still want to win. Right. No, I agree. Let's uh, let's recap real quick and then uh, wrap this up. So Georgia, South Carolina, I'm rolling with our dogs to cover 24 and a half. You're picking South Carolina to keep it a little bit closer, but you like our dogs to win. Um, Penn yeah, State, but go dogs. Yeah, but go dogs, baby. Penn State at Auburn. Um, that one is minus three for Penn State. They're favored by a field goal. I like them to win by a field goal or more. You're going to take Auburn to cover that spread. BYU on the road against Oregon. We both like the Cougars of BYU to um, win that game. They are underdogs by three and a half. At least keep it uh, closer than three and a half. And then you got Mississippi State, LSU. We're both rolling with the Bulldogs to cover that two and a half point favorite. And then Michigan State on the road against Washington. Um, <laughs> I reluctantly have taken Washington to cover three and a half. You like Michigan State, Sparty on the road to keep that closer. And then Miami, A&M, we're on opposite sides again. I'll take Miami to keep that within five and a half, and you're rolling with the Aggies. You like the picks? Michigan State, Washington, game of the week. <laughs> At least before we go, before we go, we forgot to touch on it, but I want to kind of circle back to recap on last week. You know, we're going to do this every week. You got a player, a team, an offense, a defense, player of the week here. For me, I got to go Caleb Williams, man. He looked too good. Again, 340 yards, four touchdowns. That's Heisman numbers. I'm going to go with Caleb Williams, give him the crown for the week from Tyler. Interesting. Let me see. This is tough. I wasn't super impressed with anybody, to be honest. Actually, you know what? In a loss, I'm going to give my uh, unit of the week to Texas's secondary. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm not it's a good pick. I'm not overly impressed with Bama's wide receivers, but my biggest takeaway from that game was how overmatched um, Texas secondary was uh, against Alabama's wide receivers. They locked them down all day. So uh, I'll just give a shout out to that unit since I don't have uh, one single player that really uh, stood out off the top of my mind. And a new superlative will go with the hot dog water of the week. We are <laughs> going to go to Anthony Richardson, AR-15. Yeah. Hey, one final shout out to our resident Gamecock fan. Um, I'm sure you'll be watching at 12 o'clock on Saturday. Tanya Gordon, thanks for listening to the show. We appreciate the support. Um, as always, guys, please give us a follow at Saturday 6 Pod. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Um, react with the stories. React with the posts. Um, let us know what you're thinking, how you're feeling against these picks. And uh, please check in every week. We're enjoying bringing it to you. And I uh, hope you guys are enjoying the show. We'll see you guys next week.